Welcome to our Alia a day. I am glad to be back with you. We had a wonderful, glorious, and magnificent uh, weekend with our brand new uh, Lapid Jewish Synagogue there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Had an opportunity to spend some time with beautiful people and to meet some new beautiful people, to uh, share some vision, to celebrate what Hashem is doing in that beautiful and magnificent city. If you are watching from Tulsa, I want to welcome you. If you're watching from Tulsa and you have no idea what we're talking about, there is a Sar Shalom Synagogue in Tulsa, and uh, you can always send us a message or write a comment. Better yet, write a comment below, and we'll give you the, uh, the link, the web address to it. Make sure you can go there. We are in Parashah Re'eh. If you are new to us, please subscribe to our channel. Click the little... Uh, bell icon to make sure that you stay up to date on every single thing that we have coming out. Leave a comment for us below and let us know uh, what's going on in your life, what stuck out to you in this particular segment that you liked, and that would be a great blessing. And as always, please click the little thumbs up button and give us a, a like. We like that a lot. And share this video. So, I am glad to be with you. And I uh, apologize that we're not able to make it the Aliyah on Friday, nor on Yom Rishon. But we're back now. And so uh, learn some valuable technical lessons on this little trip with respect to YouTube. And so we're going to be able to uh, <clears throat> take care of that. First of all, we need to get some more subscribers. Apparently, if we have a 1,000 subscribers, it gives us a lot more flexibility, particularly for things like this. So, tell all your friends to subscribe, and uh, they'll like you for it and love you for it, and they'll thank you and probably take you out and give you a good kosher pizza for recommending them to the Aliyah Day because it's all that and a bag of kosher chips. Baruch Hashem. Parashah Re'eh. We are in um, the art school Chumash. Page 999, and we're going to find ourselves reading in Parashah Deuteronomy, or I'm sorry, the book of Deuteronomy, excuse me, uh, or otherwise known as Devarim, uh, chapter 11, we'll begin reading in verse 26. The first Aliyah and the second Aliyah go from 1126 all the way to, let's see where it ends, to chapter 12. And verse 10. So let's read, and then we will get right to our insights. It starts off, See, I present before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing that you hearken to the commandments of Adonai your God that I command you today, and the curse if you do not hearken to the commandments of Adonai your God, and you stray from the path that I command you today to follow gods of others you did not know. It shall be that when Adonai your God brings you to the land which, to which you come to possess it, then you shall deliver the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan, far in the direction of the sunset and the land of the Canaanite that dwells in the plain, far from Gilgal, near the plains of Moreh? For you are crossing the Jordan to come and possess the land that Adonai your God gives you. You shall possess it. And you shall settle in it. You shall be careful to perform all the decrees and the ordinances I pre present you today. 
These are the decrees and the ordinance that you shall observe to perform in the land that Adonai, your, the God of your forefathers, has given you to possess it. All the days that you live on the land, you shall utterly destroy, utterly destroy all the places where the nations that you shall possess worship their gods, <coughs> on the high mountains and on the hills and under every leafy tree. Now, um, one time I had a zealous person in our synagogue. He was a young, young, young man, and uh, he felt it was necessary to go about and destroy, um, to destroy the the idols of the local community. And I told him, "No, you can't do that. We're not on, in, in Mitzrayim. We're not under uh, Torah rule. That would be breaking the law. Because, be vandalism." But on a spiritual level, we have to take this to heart. We're not allowed to indulge in any. Uh, pagan worship, and this is what most people just don't understand, because the, uh, as many of you know, historically, the church set about um, to just what we would call Christianize uh, pagan festivals and pagan holidays. The reason they did this is because they couldn't, they couldn't seem to um, uh, win the population over, to get them to cease and desist from their um, their pagan celebrations, so the church has decided to to um, point if you, or punt the ball rather. If you can't, you know, beat them, join them, kind of an attitude. Um, but I just want to emphasize, and many of you know this already. This is not really anything new, but this is just another place, yet another place in the Torah, where we're not allowed to incorporate any pagan. Uh, celebrations or worship styles or whatever into our um, into our world. And for some people, what I'm about to say is going to sound very, very shocking because sometimes you know we're like a okay in the USA for a lot of that stuff. But there's something that is extremely popular today, uh, which is a hundred percent pagan, um, but it's been um, it's been somewhat made clinical, and so most people find that it's, it's, they think it's okay. And that is, are you ready for this? Hold your chest. Okay, are you sit down, sit down. Yoga. Not allowed to do yoga. I know some of you may be doing yoga out there, and you're thinking, what? It helps my back. It helps my nerves. It calms my soul. Problem is, yoga is 100% pagan. It's 100% a worship style. I don't want to create a big, long discussion about it. I'm just telling you, it's a fact. It's 100%. And uh, all you need to do is look into to yoga and what a yogi is, and you'll, it'll shock you. And I know a lot of places, they, they've, they've made it clinical. they got little nice mats, and you go in there, and they've got essential oils that are uh, diffusing in the place. And sometimes they're wearing scrubs to make you make it look more clinical. But again, you can't take something that is inherently pagan and make it okay. You can't, you can't do it. It's not allowed. Just in the same way, you can't take catfish and farm-raise them and make them kosher. You can't take a pig and put it into a clean stall and wash it every day and make it okay. You just can't. And so I just want to say that it's going to hurt some other people's feelings, maybe. I don't know. Hopefully not. Hopefully people are teachable. Verse 3, 
You shall break apart their altars and you shall smash their pillars and their sacred trees. You shall burn in the fire. Their carved images shall you cut down and you shall obliterate their name from that place. See? Obliterate their name from that place. Not a, This is the, to the extent to which God wants us to make sure and take paganism and obliterate. Now, the the we need balance in our life. Because I just brought up yoga, it's 100% pagan, not allowed to do it. Complete, absolute fact. Okay? If you want to stretch, stretch. If you want to, you know, uh, meditate, take your Torah and meditate on the Word of God. Right? But don't do all the yoga poses because they all represent bringing in demons into your life, 100%. In the same way, we need balance. We don't need to find a pagan in every doorknob. We don't, not, we don't need to be looking at the July 4th and say, oh my gosh, that is a celebration to the God of the, the, God of the flag or some stupid nonsense like that. We got to make sure that we keep balance. We're not crazy, right? Labor Day is coming up. It's not a, that is not a pagan holiday. I don't, I don't know if anybody thinks it is. I'm just saying that we want to be careful that we don't become weird, right? Don't, don't run around in a tinfoil hat. But at the same time, don't try to make something godly that is obviously not. And all of you are intelligent. You know what I mean. But we can get carried away. So it says, you shall not do this to Adonai, your God. Notice it says, you you shall not do this to Adonai, your God. What does it mean? It means that when we take a pagan form of worship, no matter what it is, we are doing something to Hashem. We're, it's an affront to Him. Notice the word here, the, word, the verbiage, the way in which it's, it says in verse 4, right? In verse 4, where is verse 4 in Hebrew? Lo ta'ashun ken la'adonai el-chechem. You should not do this. You should not, you not, you should not put this uh, upon Him, Right? Rather, only at the place that Adonai your God will choose from among your tribes to place his name there shall you seek out his presence and come there. And there shall you bring your elevation offering and feast offering, your tithes and what you raise up by your hand, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your cattle and your flocks. You shall eat there before Adonai your God, and you shall rejoice with your every undertaking, you, your households, as Adonai your God has blessed you. You should not do like everything that we do here today. Rather, every man what is proper in his own eyes. For you will not yet have come to the resting place of the heritage that Adonai your God gives you. So just a, a note to the people saying you're not allowed to have uh, private altars. You're not allowed to do your own thing. You're not allowed to do what you think is, is fit in your own eyes. This is the problem with most theology today. In fact, you, you, you run into this uh, very often. I know many of you have. I know I have. Where people will say to you, Oh, brother, um, if, you don't want to, if, the, if you don't want to eat uh, pork, let's say, use that example, if that how, is how God is leading you, that's great. I bless you in that. But that's not how God is leading me. What that is... That is code for, let us do whatever is right in our own eyes. We have no standard, right? We have no, and that's, if you really think about it, instead of just saying, I don't want to do that, a lot of times 
we pull out the God card. I don't think that Hashem is leading me that way. Well, you know, nine times out of ten, my friends, that's just, well, I don't know. It's just not true. We in rather, Instead of just saying, I don't want to do that, <clears throat> we, do, we say, I don't think God is leading me that way. And the first of the matter is, is that if what we're talking about is a, is a biblical mitzvah, well, God can't lead you away from himself. If God says, for instance, just to stay on this example for a moment, if God says, don't eat pork, he can't come back later and say, ignore me, eat pork. Because that's a double-minded God, Hasve Shalom. A lot of times, it's just us who not, we're not willing, at the, at the moment, we're not willing to obey God. And we just need to be honest about that. I'm having a trouble with obedience. Nobody likes to say that. I just said it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Nobody likes to say, I'm just having a problem with obedience. But here's the problem. We've got to be very careful about this because every time we say, God told me, God led me, and he didn't, we're lying. And more worse than that or is that we're now blaspheming the name of Hashem. So now we're saying God told me when in fact he didn't tell me. Now we're becoming like a false prophet. Got to be very careful about that. People, we do it a lot. We should, we should just say, you know, I don't know. I don't know, I'm having a problem. You know, I just said we should say we're having a problem with obedience. And most people are shaking their heads saying, I would never say that. I know. But see, this is where the healing comes. Because when we say, you know, let's, again, let's just stick with pork for a second. Like one guy said, this happened to me many, many, many years ago. I did an entire drosh. I did an entire drosh on kashras. And uh, after this guy came down, first time guest kind of a person, he decided he, he, he was bold. I give him credit for that. He walked right down to the front. And as I was coming down off the platform, decided that he was going to set me straight. So he started to quote just about every verse from uh, one of Paul's letters, and it was all Paul, uh, about uh, eating or whatever. And it was like a skeet shoot, right? You know, you throw up the clay pigeon and you, boom. And so every time he would mention something, I would give him the total breakdown on it. Wait, I don't know how long. We must have been there for a long time. So I gave him the entire breakdown on it. And uh, at the end of the day, at the end of, at the, end of the, the, the time together, he said, well, you know what? I just like pork. And I said to him, well, don't let your stomach be your God. But what I could have said to him also was, you should have led with that. <laughs> you should have just started with that. Instead of pretending that God was making it okay for you to do it, you should have just led with the fact that I like it and I'm not ready to give it up yet. That is where healing begins. That's the whole point. So instead of blaming God and saying, God is leading me, he's not leading you. Just say, I'm having a problem with obedience right now and I'm, I'm working on it. Now, no one's going to take that advice. I know I'm not so foolish to think that, but it's true. We should do that, right? I know you think I'm right. Not that I'm so arrogant that I... I'm always right. But anyway, you know what I mean. <laughs> hey, I want to share something with you from, uh, uh, you're right, Corin. Growth comes from adversity, 100%. We're going to learn that in a second. Um, I want to share something, an insight from Parashah Akev, though, that um, I just want to share this because it's so good. And some of you have heard me teach, if you've been around for any length of time and heard me, 
two teachings, you've heard me teach about the two arcs. Now, I don't require much of people in terms of listening. I just need you to listen to an Aliyah day every day, and I need you to listen to every drosh every week. And I need you to go back to the YouTube channels on, on both the Sar Shalom channel and the Lapid channel, subscribe and click the bell and listen to every single teaching. Other than that, that's all. All right, so it says here, um, and I placed the tablets in the ark that I made. According to Rabbi Bachia, this was a temporary ark made by Moses. So p- some people don't realize, it's not just Rabbi Bachia that says this, but I think Rashi mentions it as well. There were actually two arks. We don't have time to get into the whole thing, but there were two arks. The first ark that was made was an ark that Moshe himself made. And he put within that ark the broken tablets of the, of the sapphire, the broken sapphire tablets. And what's interesting to note is that that ark is the one that went out before the camp three days. And it was the ark that caused the serpents and the scorpions uh, to flee. It caused the enemies to become um, you know, scared. It made the, the high places level and the low places raise them up, widen the road. In other words, it was a great miracle to, to make straight and easy our path. And so it's interesting to note that in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, Yeshua says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Why and how can he give us that authority? And the answer is because he's the broken tablets. So those tablets were put in a separate ark. So therefore, there were two arks corresponding to the two messiahs. And the second ark that came after the first ark, are you following me so far, had the new, the new covenant in it, the new set of tablets. But what had been written on the new set of tablets was not different words than had been, what had been written on the first set of tablets. But we covered that last week. But this is the insight I wanted to mention to you because it's just fascinating to me. So it says, eventually, when they came into the land, we took the, or they, we took the, the broken tablets and we put them into the Ark of the Covenant. So what became of Moses' Ark, we're not entirely sure, but eventually there was just one Ark. So it said, originally only the second tablets were housed in Bezalel's Ark. However, in the temple time, the broken first tablets were added. Later, this Ark was buried along with the jar of manna and other objects below the underground chambers of the temple under the direction of King Josiah, Yoma 52b, and also found in the Talmud Sota 54a. So I just want to point this out a couple things. First and foremost, the Ark was buried Isn't it interesting that the Ark of the Covenant that houses the Torah, the divine Ark with the broken tablets, was buried? And Yeshua, who is the the living Torah, was also buried on the Temple Mount. Isn't that interesting? Some people often wonder, a lot of Christians usually, Hebrew rooters, that type of thing, often wonder, where is the Ark? And they have lots of different uh, theories. It's in Ethiopia, it's, uh, it's in a warehouse uh, in Washington, D.C., because that's where, uh, that's where they put it after Indiana Jones found it. 
And people wonder where it is. And the answer is, it's not lost. And uh, the reason I believe it's not lost is because Israel isn't looking for it. And my theory has always been that the Ark is inside one of the many, many, many catacombs somewhere, caverns somewhere in the Temple Mount itself, probably under heavy guard, and because uh, Israel's not looking for it. Um, and I never heard anybody ever say that but, but me until during the three weeks, Rebetzin and I were watching a documentary, and there was a rabbi who I, I know... I don't know him personally, but I know him. Uh, and he's actually a Chabad rabbi. And he was talking about the Ark very briefly. And he mentioned that very same thing. That's where it is. It's in the Temple Mount. And he was talking about it from the standpoint of that's why there's so much Kedusha. There's so much anointing on the Temple Mount even today. Because the Ark is radiating, as it were, the Kedusha of Hashem. So anyway, just want to share that inside. Back to Parasha Re'eh. Re'eh starts out with this word, Re'eh, which means see. And so there is, um, there's an interesting insight to this word itself. See, I'm giving you today a blessing and a curse. This is what it says in the Gutnik Chumash, where it says Re'eh means see. As in the opening verse of our parasha, see, I am giving you today a blessing and a curse. What exactly, it says, is the Torah demanding in asking us to see God's blessings and curses? It says, broadly speaking, a person's observance of the precepts of, of Judaism can fall into one of three categories. And so here's the three categories. First of all, plain obedience. At this level, a person is willing to observe the mitzvah because he's aware of a higher authority. However, his observance is not inspired by any understanding or appreciation of the Torah. He simply accepts the yoke of heaven. That's level one. Level two, intellectual appreciation. This is a higher level in which a person not only observes the precepts of the Torah out of deference to a higher authority, but he also has an intellectual appreciation of the importance of observance. The importance of the mitzvahs themselves and the understanding of reward and punishment. However, it says this person has not yet reached perfection for intellectual conviction alone, while powerful, and it says here immensely powerful, still leaves room to explore other avenues. So it does not represent the absolute commitment. So the third level and the highest level is the level of vision. At this level, one does not merely appreciate the value of keeping the Torah precepts. One sees it. That is, the necessity and positive results of observing the mitzvahs become as clear and self-evident as seeing the physical object itself. So what we need... What we need, my friends, is what it's saying here, is we need vision. God, it, interesting, in the previous par, parasha, we, we heard a, a uh, oh, or one of the, one of the chapters, I, I should say, of the Shema. We hear one of the chapters of the Shema with respect to hear. So, 
in, on that parasha, God is telling us to hear, and in this parasha, he's telling us to see. You know, the apostle Paul wrote, he said, how can they know if no one's taught them? How can they know if no one's, how can they hear if no one's preached to them? Sometimes we have to hear and then vision comes. It says here in the opening to this parasha in the Kehot um, Chumash, uh, it says, we see divinity with the same clarity of perception as did the generation of the desert who experienced direct divine revelation. But our advantage is that this sight is superimposed on and anchored in the solid inner conviction born of having methodically refined our conscious faculties on our own. In other words, when we spend time in God's word, that's when we begin to see vision. Now, continuing on this thought in the Kehot, it says to the, to the opening verse C, as we have explained previously, the level of divine perception metaphorically termed sight, quote unquote, is a direct revelation from God rather than awareness that we obtain on our own. What we need to be praying for, both for ourselves and for people in our community during this parasha, we need to be praying that people will have vision, that they will have sight, that they will be able to see and attain upon their upon their their own divine revelation and divine perception. You can only take somebody so far by teaching them the word. This is why it's never effective to try to beat somebody into submission. You can share with them an insight. You can share with them a verse. Um, you can share with them the truth, and they're either going to see it spiritually or not. So hearing has to be translated into vision. And if it never becomes vision, the person is never going to be transformed. They won't be, at least at the moment, the holy spark that we're looking for. So what we need to pray for people, and this is a, this is a prayer point I wanted to emphasize today, especially as we're studying this parasha, that Hashem would give our local communities, our friends, our neighbors, our family members, our co-workers, vision. Hashem, help them to see you. Help them to know you. You know, many of us testify. I mean, I, my own testimony is, is this way. People say, well, when did you come into this understanding? And to be frank, it's a little vague. I mean, I know the timeline. I can... I can go back to 1997, where Rebbe and I walked in together to a, a, a religious bookstore that no longer exists, and I bought that day, I bought a tallit, a shofar, a kippah, and a whole set of VHS, for those of y'all remember VHS, VHS teaching series uh, on the tabernacle and the priesthood. And back in those days, I barely had two nickels to rub together, but somehow we saved up our, our, our pennies and did that. And I still have that tallit today, by the way. It's in the ark, in fact, um, in, the, in the sanctuary. Uh, 
and so I can I can go back to those times. But at what point did this become a real inner illumination? You know what? Only that it, it came by Hashem. There was information, sure. There was hearing, absolutely. There was a desire to know God, absolutely. But at some point, there be, there came a vision. And there's many, many people around us that love God and want to know God and are seeking His face, but they need vision. And you know what? Hashem is empowering you right now to pray for those people in your community to find that vision and and to and to seek. It says here, a vision of something encompasses its totality all at once. Whereas the perception formed by hearing or learning gradually combines details to form a complete picture. The experience of sight is therefore sudden rather than unfolding. We need people to have a suddenly vision, a suddenly awakening, and only Hashem can do that. We can provide information. We can provide clarity. We can provide scripture. We can provide sources. We can provide teaching. But I can preach, my friends, or give droshes till I'm blue in the face. But unless Hashem gives somebody vision, it won't have any impact. It says, interestingly, another insight here from the from the uh, Kehot. The word I, it says here. In, in the opening verse of our Aliyah, it says, So it says, instead of, instead of saying, it says, It uses the, the different word for I, Anoki, than the typical word. And the reason is because Anoki is an acronym the sages point out, an acronym that says, I wrote myself down in the Torah and gave it to you. This is why the Torah itself is a manifestation of Hashem, which is why the idea that God can manifest is no big deal. I don't mean it to downplay it. Please don't miss what I'm saying. But it's not something completely out of the ordinary. Why? Because the Torah itself is a manifestation of God. And I taught, uh, I mentioned anyway, at the Tulsa synagogue this this uh, last Shabbat, that the tabernacle itself is a manifestation of Hashem. So it says here the word that Anoki is used rather than the the more simple version, refers to intrinsic, transcendent essence. Although Moses is speaking here, he's delivering God's message to the use. The word I indicates that the vision promised of God's essence. We need to see God's essence. And to, to conclude this morning, we'll pick it up again tomorrow. It says that I set before you the word set literally is the word give, as it says here, noten. We say that when we, we talk about the Torah, who God gave it to us, noten. In other words, that the Torah he's talking about here is the gift of God that he has given to us. Before you, it says the word for this phrase in Hebrew may be read to your inner self. In other words, I give to you the gift of grace, because the word blessing, it says, means that it bestows divine benefit beyond that which we deserve. Incidentally, a curse is God's means of getting us back on track. We'll talk about that more tomorrow, but that represents God's mercy. God has so much mercy for us that he doesn't just let us go astray. He puts obstacles in our way and 
sometimes gives us problems to push us back on track. So the gift of God's grace that he sets before us, puts inside of us, brings us divine grace and mercy if we'll see him. End of our Aliyah today. Tomorrow we'll come back. We'll share some more insights related to this and, of course, the rest of the uh, third reading. God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us. If you're brand new, thank you so much. Be sure and subscribe. Click the bell button. Give us a like. Give us a comment. Until then, have a beautiful, magnificent, and glorious day. We'll see everybody tomorrow. Shalom, shalom.